as you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, making our way to the end of Ephesians, Ephesians 6. I love this time of year. Uh, Thanksgiving is always one of my absolute favorite holidays. Are you kidding me? Family, food, and football. The three important Fs. Are you kidding? That's it right there. I'm so excited. And just to take Advent's upon us, uh, I love um, what we try to do every year for our community, whether Living Nativity or last year. And to hear that our very own Whitney Goen is not going to play a drunk uh, this year. I just love the fact she steps out of character like that, you know? And so... Uh, she's so talented. Man, I'm going to hear about that one, aren't I? That was bad. But she is going to be awesome. I am so excited. Hey, the church has been given a lot of blessings. And one of the real blessings uh, of our day is a pastor out of California. He's very purpose-driven. Um, uh, his church is amazingly community-focused. Uh, his name's Rick Warren. If you don't know Rick Warren, you should, because Rick's a hero to us. I mean, Rick is an amazing guy who uh, preaches Christ unapologetically. Uh, he's Baptist, go figure. And, uh, um, but he, he really does. He, he knows that it's all about Christ and his kingdom, that it's not about us. If you haven't read one of his books, Purpose Driven Life, uh, it's phenomenal. It's did so well. It's sold so many millions of copies. Are you ready for this? That he has given back to his church every dime in the 20 some odd years that he ever made. So I'm thinking of writing a book and uh, uh, I'm excited. If, if I make the millions, I'm going to give Orangewood back. And that report Robert has, that's even going to be better. Um, but until the meantime, there's one thing that he said this, the, this last week that I read that was a little bit different than the way I would see things. I feel connected to Rick. Uh, because we both are preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both try to have people fall in love with the God who is and to realize that our life has no purpose until we meet him, until we know him. Uh, his wife recently battling cancer. I, I feel like uh, we have some common ground. But he said a quote that kind of troubled me. It troubled me in a sense where uh, he made life here seem a little different than the way I think the Bible says it and the way I think I understand it. And now remember, uh, he's a hero of ours. And this is in no way, I mean, the guy is awesome. He is, he is incredible. But let me read what he says. He says this, he says, we were not made to last forever. And right away, I'm just kind of like, ooh, we're not made to last forever. Yes, sin has entered into the picture. Um, death has come, but God has made us to, to live forever with him. And Christ has come to redeem us and to make sure we will live together with him. But he, that wasn't his point. He goes on to say, we were not made to last forever. And God wants us to be with him in heaven. Okay? I know he wants us to be with him. He says this, one day my heart is going to stop and, and that will be the end of my body, but not the end to me. By the way, we clearly believe that Scripture teaches in a bodily resurrection. The reason we celebrate at Easter that Jesus rose from the dead, not just in spirit, but in body. Um, it was so clear that he was in bodily form that he said to Thomas and to others, touch me. I mean, I have a body. I want you to know I have a body. Give me a piece of fish so I will eat, can eat it in front of you. Because I'm showing you, listen, listen, listen to what Jesus does. This is amazing. I'm showing you the future. 
Jesus is a resurrected, fully resurrected, glorified body, human body, was showing us what we will become as Christians. It's going to be glorified. Maybe it's a biscuit away from 300 right now. But I'm telling you, it's going to be a glorified body. And this body's important. And when we, when we pass away before He comes, uh, it is true that absent from the body, our spirit is present with the Lord. But when He comes back, we got to know that this, is, this isn't taught real well in the church. And I want us to know what God tells us, okay? He's coming back. And when He comes back, we are going to be reunited with our bodies, our glorified bodies, and live with Him forever. This is good stuff. So the body's important. Not just the enemy, but He goes on to say, listen to this. This is the warm-up act a dress rehearsal. God wants us to practice on earth what we will do in eternity. He says, this is a warm-up act. This is a dress rehearsal. Why can I tell you this? That this is a warm-up act and this is a dress rehearsal. It's a pretty deadly warm-up act. It's a pretty deadly dress rehearsal. You see, I think it's so much more. I mean, you read that and, and I don't know the context, so maybe in a conversation he'd elaborate but when I just get it like that, it makes, basically makes me feel like this world is meaningless. It makes me feel like what I do is meaningless. What you do is meaningless. It doesn't really matter that somehow we're in holding pattern until we're with Him and we can worship Him until we see Him face to face. But that is not really what the Bible teaches. Yes, someday we will be with Him. And you ready for this? It says we will be like Christ Jesus in a glorified body. We will live forever with Him in eternity. The new heavens and new earth. But this matters. It matters a lot. I mean, God is the God of history. History is important to God. He gave us the story of history. He spoke and created all things. Creation is important to God. It really is important to Him. The stars, the heaven, the earth, they all describe His glory. They all speak forth that He is a true and living God. Creation matters. Recreation matters. Being made alive in Christ, being born again in, in the image of Christ, being saved by the blood of Christ, clothed in His righteousness. It matters. And you're ready, church at Orangewood, you're ready, my brothers and sisters, all that we do matters. It's so much so that God's Word will say, whatever your hand finds to do, do for the glory of God. All of it. Because it all should be done for Him, for His pleasure, for His glory, and the advancement of His kingdom. And not only that, not only does it matter to God, but God knows that we are in a battle. We are in such a battle that He is going to arm us for this battle. He knows it's more than a dress rehearsal. He knows that the fiery darts that are sent at us by Satan are real. He knows that this is more than a warm-up act. And He wants the earth filled with His glory today. And so he knows that we are in such a battle that he's going to arm us for the battle that is hand, we, uh, at hand. We talked about this last week. We're going to go back again this week and say, what is the battle and what is the armor of God? And we uh, are going to realize that what we really are doing as Christians is we are celebrating Christ's victory. And we're putting on our big brother named Jesus' battle garb. And we're standing firm as a church in the midst of things that really matter, proclaiming his victory to others. I want to ask you something. I'm going to tell you something, and I want you to recite this. This is not usually the way I preach, but it's so important. We're going to start this way, and I want you to forget it. Okay, here it is. What God requires, 
God provides. Did you hear me? What God requires, God provides. And that, that should make our, draw, our jaws drop. Because God requires holiness, perfection. He requires so much of us. But what God requires, God provides, including a suit of armor to live our life in. So I want you to repeat after me. What God requires? God, God provides. God One more time. What God requires? God, God provides. That's an amazing truth that we need to be set free uh, with that reality. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 6. We're going to look at uh, verses 10 through 20. We're going to focus on 14 through 20 this week. Really 14 through 18. We looked at 10 through uh, 13 last week. Let's be mindful. God's Word is in our hands or on the screen in front of us. It's holy. It'll never lead us astray. Uh, And it's original without error. And what a blessing it is for us to have God's Word. Wrapping up this letter to the church at Ephesus and to us, Paul says, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Man, this battle's not just here, it's in heaven as well. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let us pray. And Father, I so relate to Paul in the one sense that he asked for prayer. That words may be given to him in boldness so that he would speak as he ought to. Because he knew by Your divine grace that this life is a battle. And he knew that he was speaking to a church that needed to be reminded of the battle that is raging in our midst. And to celebrate the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. And to once again to put on the armor of God so that we would be able to withstand Satan and his attacks. So that we would be able to stand and march forward for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Father, would You grant that prayer to Your servant Jeff this morning 
who stands before you, a broken sinner needing your grace and your mercy and your Son's blood. But I come to you carrying in the arms of faith Jesus, your Son, my Savior, and ask that we would see Him and Him alone. That You would speak to us through Your Word. That Your Spirit would take the sword of the Word of God and illumine our minds to understand and to, to strike our cold, callous, unbelieving hearts and to empower us to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Father, the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the Gospel, may those things stick. May You use those things to make us more like Jesus. The things that I say that are wrong or that are my opinion, that well, they fall away and be forgotten. May we just see Your Son in His glory. May we receive joy, courage, and strength. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Clearly, what God requires, God provides. Uh, it's an amazing truth. He's going to require us uh, to put on some armor, His Son's armor for battle, uh, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, as we put on the armor of God, we have to realize that oftentimes the church thinks of this armor in just defensive posture. That we are just to put this on until He comes again. And put this on so we could hold on uh, through the storm. And there's certain amazing, delicate, beautiful, profound truth that this armor is to protect us until He comes again. This armor is to protect us until we go and see Him face to face. But church of the living God, church at Orangewood, my brothers and sisters, we must look at the armor of God as both offensive and defensive. Because God has called us not just to stand in a defensive posture, but God has called us to take charge as conquerors, as ambassadors, as those armed with the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to now go, go into all the nations with this news. We are both on offense and on defense at the same time with the armor of God. Like any good sporting event, you need to have both the offense and the defense. And that is certainly true with God. We are called to both do two things. To stand for God's truth and to withstand Satan's attacks. And they both are important. We are called to remember that we're not to be conquered. We are not to be conquered. But we are to be conquerors in Christ. If we leave that alone in and of ourselves, we are in a world of hurt. Because as we looked at last year, this battle is not about our strength. It's about God's strength. It's not about our victory. It's about God's victory. And so now when he calls us to be both on offense and defense, when he calls us not to be conquered because of the truth of God, he will make sure we never will be. When he calls us to conquer the world, he will make sure that Christ's kingdom will one day conquer the world. Is there any doubt? Is there any doubt that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and one day every knee shall bow and one day every tongue will confess that reality? It's true. We must realize as He's calling us to now don this armor to put on for this battle that He's calling us not just in a defensive posture, but He's also calling us in an offensive posture. Interesting, when you look through the armor of God, guess what? There's nothing for your back. There's nothing for your back for us to turn and run. 
And I, I thought about that even this morning, thinking, God, don't we seem exposed on our back? And I just had a picture of us coming to Him fully armed in His Son's battle garb, kneeling before Him, and He places His hand over us and protects us. We're on offense because God has called us to change the world in Christ's name. We're on offense because we're His ambassadors. We're on defense because we're to now stand Stand for the truth and put on the uh, armor of God. Putting on the armor of God is basically this. This is the second point. And by the way, uh, the outline didn't make the bulletin this week. You'll see that if you want to follow along, there's a space for you to fill this in if you'd like. There's also the scripture on the bottom. If not, you can just follow along on the screen. Putting on the armor of God is putting on Christ and his victory. Listen, putting on the armor of God is basically putting on the victory that Christ has won for us. Many times as Christians, we think we've got to put this armor of God on so that we can do battle. No, what we're doing is we're picking up the battle garb of our warrior God named Jesus, who went and defeated his enemies and our enemies for us. You know that Paul had to be thinking of Isaiah when he wrote this. You know that the prophet Isaiah had to be in his mind because listen to what Isaiah says. Isaiah 59, 16, and 17. If you want to turn with me there, you can. Isaiah 59, 16, and 17. God's holy word says this. He, God, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation. His own righteousness upheld him. Listen, this is talking about God, this warrior, the one He's going to send in His Son, Jesus Christ. It says that He put on, a right, put on righteousness as a breastplate. Sound familiar? And a helmet of salvation for His head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped Himself with zeal as with a cloak. Christ is a warrior. God is a warrior, and now we wear His armor. What God requires of us, God provides. And what did God require of us is to to be able to fight sin and Satan and death. But we couldn't do it. We're too weak. We're too lost. We're too feeble. So what God required, God provided, and that was a warrior who was strong enough. His name was Jesus. God required a warrior who would really be righteous, who would truly fill the law. God required a warrior who could conquer God's greatest enemy and your greatest enemy and mine, sin and death itself. And Christianity is the celebration that God did provide that warrior. And Jesus did win. That tomb is really empty. The cross of Calvary really was affected. Our sins have totally been paid for. The tomb is empty. Death has totally been defeated. And now we are able to stand in His victory and put on His garments that have won the battle for us. God has defeated His enemies. He has defeated our enemies. And now He gives us as armor each piece. Now listen, we've got to realize this. What God requires, God provides. He's not asking you, Christian. He's not asking you, church, to come up with any of these on your own. These are nothing that you should have in and of yourselves. Truth and righteousness, salvation and faith, all are gifts 
of God. Why? Because what God requires, God provides for His people. It's beautiful. And now He's asking us to stand. And I want you to get this mental picture. Stand in Jesus' war garments. Stand in His righteousness and His salvation and the faith that He has given us. Every single piece He has given us as a gracious gift. Romans 13, 14, and 12, we looked at this last week, says this, put on Christ. He's calling us to put on Christ. Basically, it's putting on His his garb. It says it's the armor of light. God has made us new creations. And Ephesians is going to say, put on the new self created in Christ. There's a new you in Jesus. And He wants you to live with that reality that you are made new and fresh in His sight. Put on Christ and what He has done for you. Put it on through faith. And now He says this, stand firm. Stand firm. Again, it's interesting. It says uh, our wrestle uh, isn't against flesh and blood. Another way to kind of say man. Although man, boy, is it hard to not wrestle with your neighbor and one another. He says our wrestle is with the spiritual forces of Satan itself. Of darkness. There is a battle raging. And listen, the battle has been won in Christ. All the spoils of the battle have not fully been gathered yet. We live in a time that's still dangerous. But now, as we stand, we are to wrestle with evil. And it's interesting, when it says for us to wrestle with this darkness, it's really, it's hand-to-hand combat. The most miserable sport I ever played for one season was wrestling in seventh grade. I don't know who talked me into it. I don't know why I thought it would be great. For those of you who wrestled, God bless you, you're a better man than I am. But for some sweaty guy to be trying to pin you for six minutes as you're doing everything you can to try to pin him, it's horrible. It's gross. <laughs> but that was truly hand combat. Your strength versus their strength. And what God is saying is this wrestle of ours is hand-to-hand combat. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel it in your own life? He's going to say, I want you to stand, but I know that you're in a battle. And I know the battle feels like sometimes the gloves are off. And it truly is life or death. But here's why we stand. This is so important. Church, listen to this. Got to listen to this. We stand in victory already. Why? We mentioned this last week. Why? Why do we stand in victory? Because Jesus is in a different posture. He sits. Why does he sit? Because he's won the victory. Hebrews 10 says this. He sits at the throne of God as a high priest. The sacrifice was complete. It says in Ephesians 1, we read this early on, Ephesians 1 says that Jesus is now sitting in the heavenly realms. What is He doing sitting? Is He tired? No. He is proclaiming victory. My death was sufficient. My righteousness is good enough. I am sitting in victory and I'm waiting for the enemies to become my footstool. They will. It will happen. But now you stand in victory because you share in my victory. I'm sitting in victory. In the heavenly realms. Amazingly, Ephesians 2, uh, God's going to say that He took us who were dead and made us fully alive in Christ Jesus. Are you ready for this? 2, 4, 5, it says that we have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places, even now. You see, the victory that Christ won for the Father, He won for every one of His sheep. The victory that Christ won for the Father, He won for the church. The victory that Christ won for the Father, He won for you, and He won for me. And He sits in complete victory today, and therefore we stand. We stand in victory knowing the outcome is secure. 
in Christ. Christ alone. It's interesting, we said that, saying that song, I wanted to change it. It's one of the greatest songs. It's Christ alone. He stands in victory. I'm like, no, 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 no. He sits in victory. And by the way, this is a little extra stuff, no extra. You know what it says when Jesus stood? It said Stephen's martyr, martyr, uh, when he was being martyred. I think he gave him a standing ovation. I think he rose and stood and said, Stephen, welcome home. Well done. You fought well in my strength. Okay, stand firm. Having fastened the belt of truth. Isaiah 11.5. Again, you know that clearly Paul was thinking about Isaiah. I told you that earlier. Isaiah 35, uh, Isaiah 11, 4 and 5 says this. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. This is, this is God the warrior coming and bringing us victory. It says in verse 5, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And now God is saying, I want you to buckle around you. And, and listen, it starts here because this gets us in an athletic fighting mode as you, we girdle up uh, a robe, so to speak, and get ready to fight. And he says we've got to begin with truth. We've got to belt on truth to sustain what this world is going to throw at us. And here's two things I want you to think about. Truth as a protector from Satan's lies. Truth as a protector from Satan's lies. We are bombarded with lies every day. You're not good enough. That you should be farther along. That your life isn't really worth that much. That, that somehow uh, you don't measure up. Um, you, we are bombarded every day by the lies the mirror tells us, the lies around us. And what Jesus is telling his children, I just want you to buckle on the belt of truth. you got to just never forget whose you are. You're mine. Never forget that I'm in you. Never forget that I, you can do all things through me. Never forget whose you are. Never forget the battle. Put on the truth, the reality of who we are in Christ. Because Satan's going to lie to us. And he's always going to mix in a little bit of truth so it sounds really powerful for us to live in and listen to. We've seen the consequences and the pain when we listen to the lies of the enemy. Buckle the truth. The truth around us. Um, It will protect us from Satan's attack. Listen, how does God see us? Church, you ready for this? God sees us as joint heirs with Christ. He sees us robed and beautiful. Satan wants to destroy it. He wants us to lie to us and live not where God sees us, but where he is attacking us. Fasten on the belt of truth. Truth is a bunker buster for Satan's strongholds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5 says this. Paul says that we are to take every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. All the strongholds of Satan. Uh, and again, I, I can picture those bunker-busting bombs that we've had to come up with through the Gulf Wars. Because the enemy sometimes will have a stronghold that we have to destroy. And this is more the offensive side. God is calling the church of Jesus Christ. He's calling you and me that we should be able to combat the philosophy, the thinking of this age with the truth of Scripture. It's not our truth. We just need to know God's Word. We just need to enter in. God's truth will be a bunker buster to the strongholds of the world. I read this morning in my devotions that, I can't remember the name, but a, 
Um, in the turn of the century, a quote was by some smart um, man who said that the, in the 100 years, the Bible's going to be obsolete. <laughs> Whatever. God's Word is living and active. And truth as a bunker buster needs to go in. And that's why we are so uh, um, captivated with this, in this church of equipping you. You and I are ambassadors. He wants us to belt, buckle the truth around us, not in a flimsy manner. And we need to be equipped to be able to go and to interact with those around us who don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. We need to be, have the truth. Not only that, was this, this buckle of this, uh, as you girded yourself for war, the truth was what held on to your sword. The truth kind of connected to your breastplate. The truth kind of held everything else in place. Do you know the truth? What is the truth in your life? Are you trying to stand before God on your own merit? Do you not have Christ in your life? Or is the truth that you've embraced Jesus and you're a child of the King and you're garbed in the warrior of King's equipment? Radiant and beautiful in God's sight. Second thing is, having, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, put on the breastplate of righteousness, I really see this as Christ's righteousness, wearing Christ's righteousness. And then for us to do that, we have to take off our own breastplate of righteousness. Now this is important. I really want you to get this. Isaiah 64.6 says this. Isaiah 64.6 says that our righteous acts in God's sight, our own armor, our own righteous armor, breastplate in God's sight, are you ready for this? Is a filthy rag. And if I told you the literal translation of filthy rag, you'd want to run me out the door. That's gross. But in God's holy eyes, he is saying that our righteousness, apart from him as sinful creatures, that if we want to put on our own righteousness, it is a filthy rag in his sight. But the truth is, I want to wear it. I just want to show up in God's sight sometimes and what I do in and of myself being enough. I want to stand there on my own and say, just well done to me. I want my own righteousness to count just a little. Because you know what? I want a bargaining chip. I want to be able to say, I'm good and I'm, I'm holy and I'm, I'm a pastor and I tithe and plus. And, I'm, and he's like, listen, um, I, I want you to come into my presence and I want you to be robed in my righteousness. Why? Because when you come into my presence with your own righteousness, it's a filthy rag. And I don't want you to be in a filthy rag. I want you to be radiant and beautiful because what God requires, that's perfect holiness, God provides in Christ's righteousness. And how stupid are we that we want to show up in God's presence with our own righteousness as if we have something to bring. Listen, the gospel gets so beautiful and so strong and so radiant when we realize that our righteousness in God's sight is dung. But he gives us his own son's righteousness, which was beautiful, radiant, and accepting. 
That is such amazing good news. So when he says for us, put on the breastplate of righteousness, he's saying, come to the realization that your own righteousness can never measure up, but God has provided for you in Christ's righteousness. Put on His. Put on His righteousness. Paul got this. I mean, when he was uh, writing to the church in Philippi, uh, in, in, in Philippians 3, he was saying, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know that righteousness that doesn't come from man. The righteousness that comes from God. This is what Paul wrote when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God took Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, so He was righteous, to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Yes, we're a mess. Yes, we're broken. And He knows it. And he, all He's asking us to do is to show up wearing His Son's righteousness. And how do we do that? We do that by faith. Acknowledging that what we have is rags. Isn't God amazing? I know you're in rags. I know you're broken. I know you're filth. Come take Jesus. I was driving uh, down the street, uh, down Arnold this week, and I saw a kid going to school wearing Tim Tebow's jersey. I thought, man, what would it be like to be in college still? And there's kids wearing your name to school. I mean, how cool is that? Tim Tebow's jersey. I got a jersey. This is an official jersey. I mean, don't laugh. This is a real deal, man. This is a St. Louis Cardinal jersey. It's got my name on it. I went to a fantasy camp. Someone paid for me to go, and they gave me a jersey with my name on it. But I guarantee you, if I show up at a Cardinals game, there will be like, who the heck was a guy named Jakes? Never heard of that dude. See, I'm an imposter in this. I'm a faker. I'm faking it. It ain't real. It may have my name on it. And it may be authentic, but it's a fake. And Jesus is basically saying, you know, you can hang out in Tebow's outfit. He's a pretty amazing guy. But I got something a whole lot better. I want you to take off the filth of your own righteousness because it's dung. I want you to put on the real thing, and that's Christ by faith and his righteousness. How is it with you? How are you standing before God today? Are you robed in the righteousness of Christ? Listen, we're not home yet. We're still broken. We, if we're his, if we've embraced Christ as Savior, we're no posers. Listen, we're no posers. And God was, wants us to celebrate his victory. Somehow as Christians, we think that we've got to show up in this world wearing our righteousness. It's not the call, folks. Hide yourself in Christ. Admit the fact that your righteousness stinks. Why do we get called hypocrites? Because the world looks at the church trying to live in their own righteousness and say they're failures. And you know what we should say? Hallelujah, amen. What do we say, Benny? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are. We're failures. We're broken. We're sinful. We're a mess. We messed it up big time, but Jesus didn't. And Jesus is a warrior, and he came and he rescued me. And I am going to wear my Savior's robe of righteousness today. And live with his pleasure. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having the footwear of the gospel of peace 
Ask any military veteran how important proper footwear is. Ask a Vietnam veteran how important it is to have good boots, dry boots. Well, God wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. There's two things with this, and it's basically this. Walking with peace with God. God has made an amazing change in your life and my life. We've gone from death to life. We have been made new. And now He wants us to walk in peace. Listen, Satan doesn't want you to walk in peace. Satan wants to continually torment you. Satan wants to tell you that you're you're not good enough. You keep on falling short. But God's saying, listen, put on every day footwear that's proper and walk in a manner worthy of the Gospel. Just know that you have peace with God. Listen, God wants us to walk daily in peace with Him. Not because we're good enough. We're not. Because He is. That's a victory won for us. And now He wants us to have beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. According to Isaiah, beautiful feet are those who go and proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus. That He really has come. His victory is secure. And we are now to go and proclaim that good news. And be blessed with our feet. Listen, what's the time of the church right now? The time for us is to go and proclaim this. Our King is coming. Are you ready? When He comes back, He's not coming back as a little baby. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the only chance you got is now. And I'm going to proclaim peace. And here's how I'm going to do it. I am a broken mess, but I am robed in Christ's righteousness. I have been made, God has made peace with me through His Son, Jesus Christ. And I am here to sue for peace for you. I'm here to proclaim good news. He has set captives free. I am living proof. And He loves sinners like you. Proclaim that peace. That's why I mentioned something about faith. Sid Cash is so excited about singing Days of Elijah, I can't even stand it. He hasn't heard anything in five minutes. Faith is, uh, is pictured here in the Greek is not a little sword. It's pictured like a door. It's to protect all the rest of the armor. And apparently in Spartan time, Spartan mother said, bring the shield home or come home on your shield. It's big enough to be able to carry them. I found this shield of faith to be amazingly beautiful when it's tested. I found the shield of faith to be amazingly beautiful when you realize that the fiery darts of the evil one really are extinguished by it. Even in the last several months, as life has been very hard and faith seems to sometimes slip from my fingertips, what God provides requires God provides and He's never going to let me go. And at the end of a tough battle, I can go back and I can see some of the darts that were intended to kill me that by God's grace, the faith absorbed. And I've come to love it and see it as beautiful all over again. You see, you, you, you have demonstrated faith for me. There's, there's heroes here. There's heroes here who have, who have buried husbands or buried wives or have buried children. There's heroes here that have gone through horrible divorces and prodigal kids. There's heroes here that have had fiery darts almost eat them alive. Almost eat them alive. And by God's grace, what God requires, God provides. And I've seen your faith stand. It's not about you, it's about Him. 
And even when we feel like faith has slipped away and we can't hold on, Orangewood, he holds on to us. And if we have to be brought home on our shield, we are making it home. It's a beautiful thing. We have the helmet of salvation. It's not, listen, life is not a dress rehearsal. And he, we are in a battle today. And the call for the church of God is this, come and put on Christ. We'll talk more about what that means for these other pieces. Let's pray. Father, your prophet Elijah was in a battle. The odds were 450 to 1. Elijah had such confidence in your victory that he allowed the prophets of Baal to go first, to call down fire from heaven, to consume their sacrifice. Because he knew that the battle wasn't his, the battle was yours. And he knew that he could do all things through the God he loved, the God who loved him. Well, these are our days. These are our days to battle. And we aren't going to find ourselves on Mount Carmel, probably against 450 prophets of Baal, but we will find ourselves around a water cooler. We will find ourselves in a neighborhood discussion. We will find ourselves diagnosed with cancer. We will find our marriages in trouble. We will see our kids mess up. We will find an amazing battle raging around us. And you call us today to put on Christ. To stand firm. God, we have nothing to offer. And you know it. And so you provide everything we need in Christ Jesus. Spirit of living God, come. Come to the one who is yet to know you. And today, may they put on Christ as their Savior. Come to the one who's hurting and just barely hanging on and remind them what you require, you provide. Come to the brokenhearted today, God. Bind us again today, God. Dress us again today, God. Strengthen us again today, Jesus. We need you. Because these are our days to shine for you. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.